0: You're listening to the Higher Ideas Podcast, where ideas grow. Connect on higherideas.net. Now here's your host, I. Hello, fellow human, and welcome back to the Higher Ideas Podcast. If you are a person that is working with psychedelics and visionary plant medicines, such as ayahuasca, such as mushrooms, such as peyotes and pedro, Even marijuana can break into the visionary from time to time. If you're a person working with any of these things in a visionary way, this episode will be very interesting to you and hopefully very useful, so definitely stick around. By the same token, if you're a person that is working with dreams, maybe you're a lucid dreamer trying to break into this realm of understanding and interpreting your dreams, trying to increase this connection to this other visionary experience we call dreams, this episode should be very useful and interesting to you too, so stick around. And at the same time, if you're a person out there who's working with a very deep meditation practice, which can also bring up its own kind of visions once in a while, its own kind of imagery to be interpreted, this episode also should be very useful and interesting to you. So all of these people, please do stick around. Anyone else, feel free to stick around. But this episode is for you guys. Because today, I'm going to do my best to break into this very, very complex topic of learning to speak vision, right? Learning the language of visions. I mean, in, in my mind, I call it speaking psychedelic, because I personally have been working with psychedelics more than dreams, more than meditation. And learning to speak psychedelic will also improve your dream interpretation, will also improve your meditation uh, vision interpretation as well, it, it's, it's, it's all connected. It's all the same thing, just a different way to access the same kind of communication, visionary communication, psychedelic language, the language of idea. Really, this episode is a deep class that will be foundationally useful to anybody working in any of these visionary uh, practices. So before I get into teaching you about this stuff, I should first establish why my opinion even matters, right? Who am I? For people who have never heard this podcast before, let me just quickly say that I'm a person who has been living in South America for almost two years at this point, apprenticing with ayahuasca, with visionary medicine, and learning all of this stuff for myself um, and working with it and getting to understand it more and more all the time. And before coming here to apprentice with ayahuasca, for years before that, I was already exploring mushrooms, which is another visionary medicine, and interpreting those visions and and trying to figure out what is happening here in these visions. What do these images mean? Why do they come? Where are they coming from? How do I understand them? Right. So I have been personally learning how to speak psychedelic for over four years at this point. And just like living in another country with a different language, such as living in South America here, very literally for me with Spanish, it's the same thing. The longer you spend in a place, the more you learn the language. So I've spent a lot of time in psychedelic space so far, and I've gotten to know the language and understand what's going on. And I want to do my best today to to encapsulate the core understanding that I've got so far about this, and try to share it with you so you have a head start. So if you're just getting into this stuff, you'll already know a lot about how to interpret and understand what's going on. Or if you have been working with this medicine for a while, maybe something I cover in here will fill in a gap that's been there for you and help you to better your practice. In any case, this should be uh, at least interesting to listen to and consider. So yes, let's get into this learning how to speak psychedelic. So whether you're working with meditation, visionary plants, or dream work, you're going to see stuff, right? Uh, And I don't always mean see visually. Of course, with psychedelics and dreams, the odds are very high that you will receive a vision as a visual image, right? You will see a bird or you will see a rainbow and the game then becomes interpreting what that means. But when it comes to meditation, you receive it probably in a softer way unless you've got a very, very bright visual mind that interprets things very vividly for you in meditation. Most people in meditation, it'll come as an idea first and then manifest in an image. So let me give you an example. If I tell you uh, to think of a troll under a bridge, right? Now, most of you, I'm sure probably 100% of you guys, immediately thought of an image of a bridge, right? You could probably describe what kind of bridge you've imagined and a troll sitting under it. What does that troll look like? Well, you have created that image. It has become a visionary, but I didn't give it to you as an, as an image. I gave it to you as a description, right? And your mind then popped up an image that is very unique to you. So in meditation work, that's more likely the way that images come to you, that visions come to you. A pure concept that arrives, that you encounter, that then flowers into some kind of visual image for you to read it, for you to understand it, for you to connect with it. Now, it can be said that in dreams... And in visionary medicines, which are very visual, very sensory, it could be that it's going exactly the same way as meditation. That you're not being presented an image, you're actually being given a concept which is blooming into a visual image. Um, So really all you're doing is receiving concepts, not being shown visions. But, you know, the effect, the effect in dreams, the effect in visionary medicine is to just immediately happen upon this visual image, right? You just see it and you go, wow, what does that mean? And you have to work backwards from there, try to interpret what that image means. In all these modalities, you're receiving visions, you're working with visions, and so all of this work you're doing, going on these quests, these journeys, it's all for nothing, really, if you don't understand it. Because a lot of it has meaning, a lot of it is a message um, that is being presented to you as an attempt to communicate. It's, a, it's, it's a reaching out when you receive a lot of visions out there. It's a force, be it your own subconscious or be it external forces such as spirits and energies, you know? Um, but they are forces trying to show you something so that you will consciously understand them. So maybe it's a lesson about your life, right? Or maybe. It's, it's, it's just trying to explain itself to you, right? Maybe an energy will appear in your experience, say, in an ayahuasca ceremony. Maybe there's an energy that's trying to approach you um, and is trying to just introduce itself. Say, I'm a friend that's here to help you, right? So it may show you an image of a child at a mother's breast or something, right? And you'll receive this image and go, why am I sensing this? Because there's an energy here is saying, I'm here to feed you and I love you, right, all of this stuff that's at work in the image of a, of a child at a mother's breast, a force that is trying to communicate something to you in these visionary states will often try to do it that way, but it could get confusing, right, when you're not used to it, so we have to first understand one big key concept in order to get into any of this visionary understanding, visionary interpretation, and that is archetypes. So what is an archetype? Now, I could go into all kinds of dictionary descriptions of what an archetype is, but it's easier just to name a few of them for you, and you should immediately start to understand. So let me give you a couple of archetypes right now. The old man. The hero. The enemy. The mother. The sculptor. The teacher. Right? Now these are all simple, one-bite concepts that I just gave to you. I just described basic characters to you. But they contain so much, don't they? Let's get back to this list again. The old man. What does that mean to you? What What is an old man? Well, an old man is experience, right? It is a, a person. It could be an animal. It doesn't have to be a person. It could be an old dog. It could be an old society. But the old man represents age, it represents much experience, survival, right? Um, but it also represents tiredness, it represents weariness. So it's got wisdom, but it's also frail, right? It's on the way out, but it's, it's got so much behind it. So the old man right there, just those three words, the old man, contain so much that can be read into it. There's so much you can say to describe an old man. What does that represent? What does that make you think about? What goes into an old man? Same goes for the hero. So the hero is a fighter. The hero is usually an inspiration The hero is someone to to look up to and emulate, a character who is an exemplary example of whatever battle it is they're fighting. Um, It's an adventurer, it's someone doing things, it's someone overcoming things, right? So the hero, again, two words, the hero, contains so much meaning. Same goes for the enemy, the force that is acting against your goals that's usually the enemy, right? Often it's mortal threat. It's someone trying to kill you or hurt you, right? It's negative. It's, it's, it's repulsive, but it's there. So I could go on forever about just the enemy, the mother, the sculptor, the teacher, right? You could keep going like this, listing, you know, all kinds of, of, of character types out there and they all of them unpack into so much meaning that is unique to each of those titles, right? Some traits are shared between different archetypes, but an archetype will contain its own unique set of, of, of meaning and qualities that uniquely define it. That whole combination of things makes the mother. That whole other combination of things makes the hero. Right, that's just the way that reality is organized. So once again, an archetype is a one-byte concept that contains so much meaning, and really, it's an extremely efficient way to communicate, isn't it? Um, say, I want to express to you that I am weary, that I have a whole bunch of experience to share, um, that I have been through so much, I've been living for so long, you know, blah 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 blah. I can go on forever telling you all of this, but really, I could just show you an old wise man, and you hopefully can understand all of that about me. Right? So it's an efficient way to work. It's 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 an efficient way to communicate. It's saying the least amount possible, but containing so much within. It's a lot like a computer zip file, right? In, in a computer, you can wrap a whole bunch of files into one zip file, which is usually a lot smaller um, in size than all of the individual files and then you could send that file to a person and they can expand it back out and all the files come back out need to be browsed through to be looked at but sending that little package was a lot more efficient it's the same way when it comes to archetypes it's a small idea packed with specific meaning that can be um, decompressed that can be unpacked and understood in so much minutiae in so much more detail than the simple package it was sent in. These are words when it comes to visionary language, when it comes to speaking psychedelic, these are the words, archetypes. And there's such a huge array of archetypes out there. But to understand that that is the very basic process at work when a visionary experience is trying to deliver you a message, it always works with archetypes. It's the most foundational, the most important concept you need to understand if you're going to work with these visionary experiences. Now, just a note before I go on an archetype can also be an animal, it could be an object, it could even be something as vague as just a concept. Even a concept can be considered an archetype. So let's go into a couple of examples of those kinds of archetypes. When it comes to animals, right, um, one that's very commonly seen in uh, ayahuasca and in, in mushroom visionary medicine is the butterfly. Now, why? Why would there be a butterfly showing up in so many people's uh, experiences? Well, if you understand a butterfly, um, the amazing life process of an egg to a caterpillar to a cocoon to a butterfly, right? From caterpillar to butterfly, this is a huge transformation, right? It's a huge difference between these two states. And all of us out there who have been children, who have learned how, how butterflies work, um, you know, know how this goes. First, it's a caterpillar, and then it goes to sleep for a while inside this little mysterious shell. And eventually, the shell breaks open, and this glorious, colorful, magnificent, flying creature that's nothing like what it used to be before bursts free and flies forth in this beautiful way, right? So the butterfly... Um, is globally understood wherever there are butterflies which is pretty much everywhere right is globally understood by the human being to be a symbol of transformation of complete transformation uh, a butterfly is nothing like a caterpillar and if you didn't know they were connected to each other you'd never think they're they're, they're connected at all yet we know they are um, the butterfly signifies magnificent transformation it can signify freedom it can signify evolution from one state to a very different state. And considering the state that a butterfly um, is in when it's inside its shell transforming, it can also represent glorious um, eruption out of a state of, of difficult, very tight transformation. Right, So a lot of people see the butterfly in their medicinal um, plant visionary medicine journeys because that's exactly what they're doing at the time. Um, the vision of the butterfly will be very common exactly because that's the message being sent. Look at you here in this process of transformation. right? It could be an invitation. Look, we need you to let this transformation happen. Become the butterfly. It could be an invitation. Or it could just be the explanation. Wow, how great you're here for this process. Look at you transforming, look at you erupting, look at you blooming, right? That is uh, such deep significance in such a simple image of a butterfly. But these visionary medicines will use that image very commonly to communicate exactly that concept. Now, another animal that I can think of off the top of my head is the spider, right? And for most human beings out there, a big hairy spider will represent fear, will represent danger. So that image may appear in visions and represent that. Um, The horse, there's another animal. The horse represents power. It represents strength, right? It represents even freedom, similar to the butterfly. A horse running through a wild field, is there anything as beautifully naturally free as that? It's a beautiful image of freedom. But of course, they're muscular, they're powerful. they can run, they're fast, they can pull things. Horse represents power. And it can even branch off into more specific archetypes, right? So where the horse represents power, strength, and freedom, you can be more specific by saying the workhorse or the war horse. Now, in both these cases, the workhorse and the war horse are using their power for different things right the workhorse is using its power to pull to labor right to 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 do the work that needs to be done right it's 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 almost like a valiant honorable thing the warhorse is power being used to dominate to you know destroy to attack to make battle so these will have different uh, specific meanings beyond just horse Right? So these archetypes I'm just trying to explain can be more specific, but still contain the core meaning of that thing. So horse, the core meaning, power, strength, and freedom. Now, when it comes to workhorse, when it comes to warhorse, freedom isn't there, is it? So it gets more specific. We're talking about power and strength when it comes to the workhorse, power and strength being applied for labor. When it comes to warhorse, it's power and strength being applied um, for for some battle. So the freedom is gone there. So it could be fair to say that the core uh, archetype of a horse is actually the wild horse, the one that's free, right? That's the pure horse. Uh, and then it breaks off into these more specific horses. Now, again, this is something that many, many humans out there in so many different human cultures will understand. In so many cultures, horses have been used to pull carts, right, to pull tools working the field, to carry heavy loads, to get us up mountains, right, to travel far distances. They've also been used in battle. So the workhorse and the warhorse and the horse has some high level of universal meaning to all humanity out there because it it has meant the same thing in so many cultures. So there you can have a certain level of universality in the interpretation of this symbol, but uh, I digress, I very much digress on this topic. Um, let me get back to the point. These are animals, these are animal archetypes that contain, again, so much specific meaning just behind their image, right, that can be unpacked and understood in so many ways. Now when it comes to objects, you've got the same thing. Let me give you an archetype of an object, door, right? Now a door, what is a door? Well, first of all, it's a blockage, right, that needs to be opened. It's also a portal, because you don't have a door sitting in the middle of a field with nothing there. A door is usually between one room and another room, so it's a portal. It's, 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 it's the gateway of a portal. It's a passageway. It can be an exit. It can be an entrance, right? And it can also be a representation of being near a new place. If you go through that door, you're in a new room, in a new place, and you have left the room you were in before. These are basic rules of reality that we all work with every day, right? So if I'm trying to invite you, if I'm, if I'm an energy trying to communicate to you, you need to move from one room to another. You need to move from one state to another. I'm inviting you to come to this side of things, right? I may show you a door. I may show you an open door to invite you to go through it. Or if I'm trying to show you that you're blocked in in some journey that you need to continue in, I may show you a closed door, communicating you need to open this door, there's something you need to do, you need to grab the handle, you need to open the door, and you need to walk through. How can I communicate all that to you? I'm going to show you right in front of your face a closed door. And hopefully you'll figure it out, right? Hopefully you'll figure out what I'm trying to tell you. Open the door. Come through the door. There's something on the other side. Maybe there'll be the sound of someone knocking from the other side of that door, which then represents, again, an invitation. Hey, I'm on the other side of this door. I need you to open this door. This is your house. I'm knocking respectfully. Please open up in order to continue your work, right? In order to move the energy that needs to move for your own healing, or for this journey to continue. So you see just there, just the door, an image, an archetype that contains so much meaning, that can say so much, depending on the context, depending on the action, depending on what's happening. But there again, an archetype that isn't even a person, it's just a door, it's an object. There are archetypes too. And as I said, an archetype could be as vague as a concept. I mean, look, good and evil, it's one of the most basic, universal, um, high-level uh, archetypes out there on which most of the universe seems to be based, right? There's, there's good and evil, there's creation and destruction, there's push and pull, there's black and white, there's cold and heat, right? Um, the opposites, even there using the word the opposites describes all of those things I just listed, so um, very foundational to the universe. Opposites are everywhere in this, uh, this realm. They're the foundation of this realm. But see, they are archetypes, good and evil, right? Of course, describe good, describe evil. They're very specific to themselves, right? They've got very specific traits. Uh, and by the way, while we're speaking about this, uh, I just mentioned black and white. Um, color is also an important archetype, another uh, important element to read into when you are trying to analyze your visions because there is some significance we all associate to each color. And when it comes to black and white, pretty universally for humanity, black is related to negative things and white you know, has a sort of spiritual and a sort of clean connotation. Now, that could be a sort of dangerous statement to make in these ultra-sensitive, politically correct times. Somebody might get ruffled and say, why? Is it because black people are bad and white people are good? What are you saying? Well, no, it's much more deep and psychological than that. And it comes down to day and night, right? Um, Way back in primitive history... Um, all humans had the same feeling about nighttime, which was fear, which was apprehension, right? Which was danger. Predators came out more at night. It was more difficult to mind your surroundings. And what is night, especially when all we had was, was fire, and even before we had fire, and all you had was the moon? Night is blackness. It's an invasion of just this color, this 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 black. And all this bad stuff can happen during that time, right? All this fear appears, all your imagination runs wild, worrying about what's out there. You can't see, you're blind. So um, to me, that's why for all humans out there, black tends to be associated with negativity, uh, with danger, with threat, and look, we, we, we go with that in all of our media, right? The villain is always clad in black, living in a black tower under a dark cloud, right? And the good guys are in this white tower, dressed in white, with sunshine beaming from behind them, right? That's the opposite of black, is daytime. Daytime is the only time you would see white, except for the moon at night again, so that's just to say that color is important too, especially when it comes to black and white. If you encounter uh, a tiger, a black tiger, then that's probably representing something um, negative, right? Whereas if the tiger was white, that might represent protection. That might represent, um, you know, everything else that the tiger represents. But the fact that it's white shifts its meaning completely. So color is also important, not just black and white, but blue and green. Um, But just like all the other symbology out there, really it comes down to understanding what those colors represent to you. And it could evolve over time. And it's not a black and white thing, no pun intended. It's not so black and white. Sometimes a black figure will appear in your visions that isn't necessarily bad. For instance, I myself work with a black snake which represents the more vicious half of Mother Ayahuasca, right? So really the black snake does represent threat, it does represent danger, but not to me. It's threat and danger pointed at enemies, pointed to anything that comes to threaten me. It's like a counter threat, right? So although it is a big, vicious, black, scary snake, it's not to me. To me it signifies protection, you see? It's only black and big and scary to anyone that would try to cause me harm or any, any enemy in any battle I'm fighting out there. So a concept can be an archetype. It doesn't have to be a person. It doesn't have to be an animal. It doesn't have to be an object. It goes all the way into just pure concepts. Now look, here's another concept that's an archetype. The struggle. How many places in life, how many stories out there, how many experiences we've had in life that can be summed up just by saying the struggle, right? Life is the struggle. Heartbreak is the struggle. Work is the struggle. Evolution, healing is the struggle. The struggle is everywhere. It's a very universal archetype, but it is an archetype. What is the struggle? Well, it's it's the labor. it's It's the work that goes into reaching the goal or resisting failure, right? There's all this meaning inside that word, the struggle. So archetypes are really concepts, even the ones that are people, the ones that are animals, the ones that are objects. In the end of everything, they're all concepts that contain other concepts inside of them. An archetype is a package that contains many, many concepts. And also these archetypes, like good and evil, like the struggle, like the horse, like the teacher, like the old man, those archetypes themselves can be contained inside of other archetypes, right? So, for example, the ancestor. Well, the ancestor contains the archetype of the old man and the old woman. It's all of the old people, right? So they're all nested inside of each other this way. There's this multi-levelness, this hierarchy, to all of the archetypes out there in existence. And the one that will be used to try and send you a message, to try and communicate something in a dream or in a vision will be the one um, that contains no more and no less than what is trying to be communicated. So I'll give you another example here. Um, If an energy is trying to communicate the struggle to you, look, the old man contains the struggle. The old man has been through so much. The old man is near the end. The old man is getting tired. The struggle is innately in the old man archetype, right? But if I'm trying to specifically tell you about the struggle, I might not show you the old man. I might just show you an image that is nearer to representing struggle, right? I might just show you a chain that's pulled tight because that is an image that purely contains tension and pulling in both directions and strength and resistance, that might be better to communicate the struggle. It wouldn't be very efficient if I'm just trying to tell you about the struggle to show you the old man, because there's so much inside the archetype of the old man, including the struggle, that you might have a hard time finding the exact thing I'm trying to say. So, What I'm trying to say here is that the image that will be used so often in visionary experiences, in dreams, will be the image that is as close as possible to what is trying to be communicated. It's extremely efficient and amazing to see the way these visions work sometimes in giving you the most perfect image, the nearest archetype to what is trying to be communicated with as little room for error as possible it really does pick what is nearest to what the message is supposed to be without adding a whole bunch of extra unnecessary detail. It's a very, very efficient way to communicate, and um, it's one of the things I find so fascinating about interpreting visions and working with these uh, these visionary experiences. So, so far we've seen that archetypes can be people, uh, imagery of people, it can be imagery of animals, it can be imagery of, of objects, And it could even be just pure image free concepts, right? Um, That are demonstrated more in the action of what's going on and less about the specific image you're seeing. But all of these are archetypes. All archetypes contain sub archetypes, right? They contain meaning inside of them, which themselves are also archetypes. You could dig into deeper. So we just talked about a bunch of individual examples of archetypes but the thing is they dance together you rarely get just one archetype they come in together just like a sentence in combinations so the archetypes are the words to psychedelic language but they come in combined to create a sentence of finer meaning just like in english we'll put a bunch of words together to mean something more complex and specific than just one word so let's look at an example here. The flower. So a flower, right? What does a flower represent? Well, a flower is a plant, right? And plants as archetypes are great because they don't do much, do they? They're, they're a pretty simple archetype. What does a plant do? Well, a plant grows. It's a growing thing. So it can represent growth. It can represent, you know, life. It is just this living thing. It doesn't dance. It doesn't fly. It doesn't really hunt. You know, it's just there and it's living. So, um, you know, a flower is a part of a plant. It's part of the whole process. A plant goes from seed to sprout, grows into a plant. And the whole point, really, of most plants out there is to get to flower, to gather enough energy to be living in a place with enough water, enough sunlight, enough nutrition in the soil to first grow and then flower when there's enough surplus, when all the stars align, right? The point of the, f- the plant is to flower so that it can be pollinated, so that it can fruit, so that it can seed, right? So a flower is a very important step in a plant's life, um, I mean, it can be said that that's what it's trying to get to. I'm sure a plant, if it has a mind as it's growing, is hoping I get to flower one day, right? And if I don't, what a failure of a life that was. I grew for nothing. I went through all this trial for nothing because I'll just die and not reproduce. So right there, the flower, we can already start to assume, may represent um, fulfillment of a person's potential, the fulfillment of a person's dreams, um, you know, the point of a person's life. Now, let's add the struggle. So the struggling flower, not just the image of a flower, but a flower that is struggling, maybe struggling to bloom, right? Maybe it's an unopened bud that is shown to you And as you see it, you also see what a beautiful flower it is that's in there. You understand this is a miraculous, amazing, beautiful flower that I want to see bloom. But here it is, closed up in its little green pod, and it's kind of limp, hanging down, looks like it doesn't have any water. It actually looks like it's drying out. It might be dying. It is a struggling flower, right? That's just an image. But what does that mean? Things are bad right now right but this flower has so much potential to bloom and in seeing that image you as the viewer may may feel invested may feel wow I really wish this flower would bloom I want to see it bloom what a shame that it's limp and it's dying it just needs water what's the matter with this flower you become very invested in this story and eventually may have a moment of realization that you are that flower that flower is just like me I'm struggling, I am limp, I need water, but there's something inside of me that wants to bloom just as beautiful as that flower, and you become the brother of that flower, and you identify, and the message then is clear. The medicine, or the meditation, or the dream is telling you, look at yourself in another face. This is you. You are a beautiful flower that is struggling, that is limp, that hasn't even bloomed yet. We need to take care of you, we need to fix this, we need to give you the health and the flow that is necessary to see you finally bloom in all of your glory. This message sent by the simple image of a flower, not just a flower, but a flower struggling. So there are two archetypes were put together, the flower and the struggle, to give you a more specific message. A message that is about you, that's saying, please listen to me as the medicine speaking to you, right? As the dream speaking to you, as the vision speaking to you. Look at yourself. Look at how I see you and the way I want you to see yourself as this beautiful flower that needs to bloom. And what a shame it would be if it didn't. And I need you to become personally invested in making this flower bloom, Now, if you receive this whole experience I just described in an ayahuasca session or a mushroom session, for example, that vision may become a guiding vision for you for years moving forward, making changes in your life, remembering that flower. I am that flower. I will bloom. I want to see this flower bloom. I will find the water. I will do what needs to happen so that this beautiful flower can finally explode and open up and be, you know, as magnificent as it needs to be. I'm not giving up on that flower. So this is how visions can be extremely powerful for a person in life, um, and you know, I live myself with a bunch of visions that are still rolling around in my head um, as motivators or as demotivators, trying to stay away from from negative directions, as motivators to move towards positive directions, Such a simple image that can speak so much because the the image has been chosen so perfectly. This is how plant medicines, like psychedelics, speak. They speak this language. This is how your dreams speak to you. It's how your subconscious speaks. It's all about archetypes. It all works with archetypes. And that's the key to interpreting visions. So it's very important to understand this uh, and think in terms of archetypes when trying to understand visions. So that was a whole mouthful, wasn't it? Already my mind is going in all these directions. I want to give you more examples. Uh, I will as this episode continues, but for now let's take a little musical break and um, just mull over what we've been through so far. Before we continue, this is probably a good point to mention that this project is supported. Um, by donation, I send this information out there freely in order to help people along their path. It's a voluntary effort on my part that takes a lot of effort, and it is supported. It needs to be supported by donation um, for it to be, you know, worth all the time I put into it. Um, I, I I would be happy uh, with good income to give this away for free, but that's not my situation right now. I really need support to keep this content coming. So if you do appreciate it. Um, You can head over to higherideas.net. At the top of that page, there's a little orange link that'll take you to my Patreon funds, my Patreon page, where you can choose to donate whatever amount you choose every month to help support this content and keep it coming. Um, For example, this flute music, even, that you just heard is my music. I performed it. It comes from me. And if this project didn't still exist, thanks to those who are supporting it so far, you would never have heard it. It would be only for me. Um, the effort of my life is trying to not keep these treasures, the, this knowledge, these beautiful things I encounter, not keep them only for me, but send them out there through this magic of the internet. But it takes effort. This particular episode took over a week, and I do it freely. I do it with the hope that it'll be appreciated and helpful enough to motivate some of you to pitch in a little bit and support it. So if you are finding this interesting, if you are finding this a rich, helpful content that I'm putting out here, please do consider pitching a little bit of support to keep this bird singing, as it were. Okay, so we're back. Now, why is it this way? Why is it that dreams, that meditation, that um, psychedelic plant medicines will speak to you purely in archetypes? Why is this the language that is being used by these, these, these efforts to communicate, right? In dreams, your subconscious is trying to communicate with you. In meditation, you are trying to listen to your subconscious, just like in a dream, right? You're trying to become neutral and hear what comes up and observe what comes up and and be attentive to, again, communication from a deeper level. And, of course, when you're working with a plant like ayahuasca, like mushrooms, like all of these medicines out there, the shamans would tell you that it's the medicine also trying to speak to you. The spirit of that medicine is trying to bring you messages, trying to teach you through these imageries. Why is it this way? Well, archetypes really are the purest language out there. It's a language of pure concept. It's a language separated from any language, right? Every language out there works with archetypes, be it Chinese, be it English, be it French, be it Spanish, and we have words, different words, for the exact same archetypes, right? The old man. In English, is the old man. In Spanish, it would be el viejo, right? In French, it would be le vieux. But they're all pointing to the same archetype. So really, the purest language out there is pure concept. So, so let's say, for example, you are an alien of some sort. You're a completely otherworldly being from a completely other world, trying to communicate with a being from another world entirely, that speaks a different language, that has lived a different kind of life, that doesn't understand the same things you understand, right? How will you communicate? Well, the best way to communicate, if you have access to that other being's mind, if you can look through their whole database of concepts and understand what they mean to that person specifically, you could speak to them by just poking on those concepts, right? By just delivering the ideas. I'm trying to communicate to you that I'm inviting you to another place. What is it in that other being's mind that represents that? Ah, I see that doorways in this person's world are a portal from one place to another. Yeah, that'll be useful. So I'll show them a door and hope they understand, right? It is the purest way to communicate if you have access to another person's entire database of understanding, right? We are not, in everyday life, psychic, so we have to have a commonly understood bunch of sounds that connect to these concepts in order to tell them to each other. But if you had this direct mind's connection, words become unimportant and it becomes all about idea, it becomes all about concept, it becomes all about pure archetypes beyond words. Or, you know, the process can actually be even more simple than that. It could be that the outside force, the outside energy trying to send you a message, be it your subconscious or an external mind, right? It could be that it is just sending the concept without any specific image. Just as we described about meditation in the beginning of this episode, a concept arriving and blooming in your own mind, in your own way, into an understandable image. That could be what's going on. Just the concept is being sent without any definition beyond its own meaning. And it gets into your mind and your subconscious knows exactly the image to use to represent that concept. Um, So it could be that that it's your subconscious making the decision about which image to use, which would again explain, uh, probably in a better way, why these images tend to be so perfect when you do finally understand what it means why it can be so perfectly chosen, so custom chosen for you. It could be that it's because your own subconscious, which knows you better than anybody, including yourself, right, is choosing which images to use by receiving just the concept and looking through its own database and saying, ah, what do I have that can perfectly represent this as close as possible? And then it throws that up to your conscious mind for you to read and hopefully understand. So it could equally be that. These different modalities of of visionary work communicate this way, speak this way. It is just the purest language. It is idea, pure idea, uh, beyond any kind of word, beyond any kind of spoken tongue. So, in having psychedelic conversation, visionary conversation with Your subconscious or with plant medicines, it becomes really important to learn to speak psychedelic, right? And learning to speak psychedelic is all about learning to interpret archetypical imagery. Now, the good news about that is that it's easy and it's natural. It's absolutely natural. Even before you learned any spoken language as a baby, you already understood archetypes. You already understood the figure of your mother. You already understood the figure of your father. You already understood food and and sweetness and sourness and toys and pleasure and pain. You understand archetypes before you understand words. So it is more natural to you, to everyone out there, than any language. So um it's really not that hard. But the bad news is there is room for error because it's all about interpretation, it's all about interpreting properly. That's the game at work in trying to understand psychedelic language. It's not initially as clear as what we're used to, spoken language, which has very defined meanings for sentences and words. But when you become good at understanding archetypes, you get to understand that actually it is a lot more specific than any spoken language. It's just about becoming better at understanding this language. So... The good. You're a natural. You do it all the time. When you're dreaming, you are speaking with your subconscious, right? And you're doing it every night, whether you remember your dreams or not. You're always listening to archetypical imagery, to psychedelic communication, to psychedelic language, to visionary language. We're working with it all the time. So we're all naturals. Further good news is the messages are custom-made for you, when our archetype is being used to send you a message, be it from your subconscious or from medicines out there, it is custom made for you to understand it. So where a dog to one person may represent companionship, represent, you know, loyalty and all of this stuff, for a person who's had bad experiences with dogs, a dog may actually represent the enemy. It may represent fear. It may represent adversity. Um, so, unlike our spoken words, archetypical imagery is very individual to the person's life experience, to the person's feelings about a certain object or archetype out there. But the amazing thing is that when your subconscious is speaking to you or these plant medicines are speaking to you, they seem to know your whole database and know exactly which archetype to use to speak to you the exact meaning that it's meaning to tell you. The good news is you're already being helped. You're already being sent messages that you should innately understand. If you could just learn to to know what these things mean to you, it becomes a lot easier to understand what they mean when they're being used towards you. Further good news for anyone out there who's an artist or a poet or a writer, these are all people that work with imagery, that work with archetypes all the time, right? With, with analogous meaning. A poet may write a poem about a flower knowing that he's speaking about someone's heart, right? A writer will often use archetypes and imagery to communicate something different, but the, the writer knows that that thing represents something else, right? Um, and an artist as well may paint an image of a fish knowing that the fish represents the soul in that particular image, right? So these kinds of creative people um, are working with archetypes all the time and are very used to interpreting them. So if you are this kind of person out there, it's a big plus because you're already used to thinking this way. Now, you don't have to be an artist, a poet, or a writer to already have that kind of advantage. You could just be an appreciator of art, of poetry, of writing, and still have that understanding of something doesn't always mean what it is on its surface. It can represent something wholly different, right? So all of these kinds of people out there already have a leg up in understanding dreams and understanding visions. Another piece of good news is that it improves. Just like any language, the more you work with it, the more it'll improve, the clearer your interpretations will become, the faster you will become at, at at interpreting and understanding visions that come. Now, the bad news, as I said, is that there's room for miscommunication. And it's not on the part of the sending party, because when you're working with your, with your subconscious, when you're working with meditation, when you're working with visionary plants, um, They don't make mistakes. They know exactly the image to use for you to understand the message. Where the error happens is in us, is in you, is in your own misinterpretation of the message. Now, where does this interpretation go wrong? Well, it tends to go wrong in your conscious mind, right? In your overly analytical, overly literal part of your mind. That's where the interruption, that's where the fault will often happen. Now, that could be doubt, It can be fear. So for example, if you're afraid of snakes and you're presented with a snake with that pollution of fear there, you're afraid of it. So the second the snake comes up, you decide that's a scary thing. So it's a fear image and you'll block it right there. You'll interpret it as a negative fear where the message maybe was deeper than that. Maybe the message of that snake was representing something other than your fear of it and getting over your fear of it or forgetting your fear of it is the key there to really understanding what the snake means in that situation. But if there is a fear there, as I said, it may interfere on your understanding of the deeper meaning behind it by getting distracted by that fear. In a similar way, preference can skew your understanding, can make you misinterpret an image because you would rather, you'd be more comfortable if it meant this rather than that, right? And so you'll cling to the preferred meaning instead of maybe the uncomfortable meaning. So in that situation, again, you can choose consciously to pick the wrong interpretation because this version is better than that version. I don't want to think of the negative version or the uncomfortable version. So let's choose to interpret this this way. Now, again, that's your choice. A lot of interpreting these things comes from trying to separate preference, trying to separate from fear, and just trying to analyze the imagery at work, trying to analyze the archetypes that are there. And as I mentioned already, another way that um, misinterpretation can happen is to think overly literally, just taking the image on its face value. So instead of interpreting as a flower, as meaning, you know, this is you, you are the flower, it's not about a flower. You may just start thinking, why am I seeing a flower? Do I have to find that flower? Is that flower a medicinal plant that the medicine is telling me I need to find and work with, right? You get into all this literal thinking obsessed on that flower, but it's the idea of the flower that was important there, right? The idea of something that needs to bloom that isn't blooming. So you can get distracted in taking these visions overly literally. So let me give you a couple examples here: how fear and overly literal thinking, etc., can divert, can uh, derail proper interpretation of a a visionary image. I was once in an ayahuasca dieta in, in a group ceremony, where the image came of a butterfly struggling to come out of its cocoon. And just like the example of the flower I gave earlier, I had an understanding that this butterfly represented me, my struggle to come out of the shell, to bloom, to be set free, to fly out gloriously, right? So I was invested in this butterfly's fate as I watched this vision develop. And as it struggled and struggled and struggled to break free, it just wasn't. It couldn't. It was stuck halfway And as much as I wanted it to be free and to come out and to break out and be glorious, not only for its sake, because it's a beautiful butterfly that's trying to be birthed, but also because I understood this is representing my struggle, right? Um, I was trying to will it to be free. But as visions often go, you don't really have control. When they're true visions, you're just observing the message, right? And what eventually happened to this butterfly is it became tired It stopped pushing and pulling, it seemed to stop struggling, and eventually, it just fell out. It slid out of the cocoon and fell to the ground, dead, with its shriveled wings, dead. So, my usual fearful self, I almost interpreted it as, well, it's hopeless. Look, this message, this vision is telling you it's too late, you weren't fast enough, you weren't strong enough, it's all over, you're dead right just like this butterfly you are a lost cause you're dead right and a person could take that in a very negative way and and fall into despair for the following days or for the rest of their life you know just thinking of this dead butterfly i'm screwed right but having worked with these images before and having worked with exploring the meaning beyond your fear or beyond overly literal thinking i eventually properly interpreted that vision as to mean it's over for now. Forget it for tonight. It's, it's, it's not gonna happen tonight, you know? You're out of energy, you're tired, uh, you don't have what it takes tonight. But it's not forever, right? The message was, here's a moment for you to break free of all your issues, to, to gloriously bloom and fly off, but for now, it didn't happen. So the butterfly is dead, let it be, right? Just forget it, next time right? That was actually the proper interpretation because eventually, you know, I did come out of these struggles and I did gloriously unfurl my wings. So I could have chosen to to fall to my fear there and misinterpret the message of the butterfly dying as saying it's hopeless forever. Really, the message was, for now, it's over, right? For tonight, forget it. It, it, it could have happened. It didn't happen. There's other butterflies out there, right? There'll be other nights, which, as I said, turned out to be the truth. In that exact same ceremony, um, later that night, as I was still in the state of trying to revive this butterfly and worried about what does this mean, does it mean it's all over, does this mean I failed, does it mean there's no hope, eventually I had a secondary vision of of an old horse walking up to the door of this hut we were in and just dropping dead at the door. Just, dead horse. And there was a second confirmation of the actual message. A dead horse, what does that mean? Well, we have the expression, beating a dead horse, right? And what does that mean? That means you keep trying when it's over already. Just let it go, right? Stop stop wasting energy beating this dead horse. So there was the secondary message. Death again, yeah? I could have taken it negatively and fearfully. But when that dead horse appeared, I understood for sure what that butterfly meant, which meant For now, for now, just forget it. You're beating a dead horse tonight. Let it go. We'll try again later. Now, another little example that has often come in my own visionary ayahuasca experiences is the figure of a needle. Now, for me, I've never liked needles, right? I've never liked injections. I used to be afraid of wasps because I didn't want to get stung. I never liked the idea of anything pricking into my skin. But a couple of times the medicine tried to approach me with a needle, not necessarily a medical needle, but something sharp, right? A long, thin, sharp object that usually was trying to come right between my eyes, penetrate into my brain. And I was being confronted with this image slowly coming at me, and I had to stay calm in order to let it in, right? But the fear was always interrupting because I had this enemy response to the needle. This, no, don't touch me, get away from me, right? So I would reject it. I would break out of the moment. I would interrupt the moment. I'd I'd come out of the vision and stop the whole process in its tracks because of the presence of this archetype, of the needle, trying to penetrate me. But eventually, I had to become comfortable with the idea that everything happening in this medicinal context, in this ayahuasca context, is for your betterment. And just like accepting a needle from a doctor when you know it's for your health, I should approach it that way when it comes to these visions, right? And the next time the needle came, I stayed calm and I allowed it in because I now interpreted it as not something trying to hurt you, not something trying to penetrate you aggressively, but something very precisely trying to enter and, and inject something into me. It was actually a symbol, a visual interpretation of very precise energy work or a very precise um, change that the medicine was trying to do to me, but it needed me to accept it. So it came as this image of a needle coming at me. And when I stayed calm and let that needle in, it went in, it did its thing, and there was transformation from that event. Um, but only because I now interpreted the message of the needle properly, not enemy, not pain, not attack, but precision and an almost a medical precision needing to inject something into me, needing me to stay calm and still and accept it in, right? So this is how this dance of trying to understand visuals and archetypes and symbology. Um, can become mucked up by fear, can be interrupted by by overly literal thinking or preference, right? I would prefer not to let a needle inside of me, but in order to let this process continue that was trying to happen over and over, over many different times drinking, finally understanding what the needle meant allowed things to proceed smoothly, and it was all for the best in the end. Now, one last example of misinterpreting a vision because of preference or fear is a dream, actually. This isn't even a psychedelic vision now. I had a dream a bunch of months back in which I was living in some kind of, you know, other apartment, as you often do in dreams, some other living situation. I had left my room for a while, and I had come back to my room to find everything destroyed, everything in the middle of being destroyed by this big, black, wild boar that was just raging, and just hitting everything with its tusks and biting and scratching and ripping everything, my clothing, my bags, my bed, and specifically when I walked into the room, my computer, which is so important here to me in Peru because if this computer breaks, I don't have the money to buy a new one. I'm screwed if I lose this computer, if it's stolen, or if it's broken. Everything is over. I have to call it quits for this project. So in this dream, it was a disaster to walk into this room and see this wild boar demolish my computer on top of all my other things. My whole life was wrecked because of this black boar. And when I woke up out of that dream, my immediate interpretation was fear. It was somebody's going to steal my computer or break into my room. I'm going to leave my home one day. I'm going to come home and find my door kicked open, all my stuff gone, right? This is like a warning, and God, I hope it's not true, right? I was worried for a good week about that happening. I was on edge because often I've found the dreams that you remember that are very striking tend to have an important message, right? And sometimes it's, it's premonition. So I was worried about this black boar for a while, but you know what? It never happens, right? In real life, no one ever broke into my place. I still have this computer and all my stuff, thank God. But I eventually understood what the black boar really meant. And the black boar in my dream was my own anger, was my own growing frustration about my struggles over here in life, trying to make ends meet, trying to find success in all of my voluntary efforts that I'm giving the world using this computer, you know, this whole trip over here, living in these apartments in Peru, living really cheap. It's all on the the edge of a knife, and it can all fail at any moment. And I feel often that um, I've done all this for nothing because nothing is growing, nothing is succeeding and there's been this growing rage, this growing anger of, God damn it, I've given so much. Why isn't it working out? And in those same weeks where that dream had come, that anger was becoming an interruption. I couldn't work anymore. I was angry at all my projects. I didn't want to touch anything because it felt like everything is for nothing. And there was a real anger growing inside of me, lashing out at everybody, right? So I eventually understood that's what the black boar was in that dream. That's what it meant. The black boar um, was my own rage, my own anger that wants to just break everything and go, well, then fuck all of this, right? That's what it was. And it was actually a warning. Be careful because this growing anger, this growing frustration actually is threatening everything that you're working on and it can wreck everything. So I've been very careful to try and keep that from happening ever since understanding that. But see, I initially interpreted the black boar as an external thing, someone else coming into my space and ruining everything, but really it was me. It's, it's, it was a warning about a part of myself that's out of control, a wild black boar, right? The stubborn, wild animal that's just full of rage and, and, and uninvited, but wrecking everything, right? That's a perfect image to represent my rage, my anger, my frustration, my sadness. So a lot of times you just have to spend some time with a vision and not lock in its meaning right away, a wait and see approach, and often the real meaning shows itself. And when you do finally encounter the real meaning, you'll often be amazed at how perfect that image was for that specific meaning. And sometimes you'll be even a little confused of how did I ever not see it, right? Now that I see what it means, it can't mean anything else. It is such a perfect representation of what it actually means. And the interpretation I had before sort of was a proper interpretation, but not as perfect as the final interpretation that is correct. That's just the genius of this archetypical um, communication. Um, There's that room for error. But when you get it right, it's just such the perfect image. You couldn't yourself think of a better image to say what it was trying to say. is a really elegant, really beautiful language that um, only has that room for error. So really, a lot of the work comes with learning to clean up your own interpretation, clean it up from doubt, from fear, from preference, and overly literal thinking. So before I move on from this section about the good and the bad news about interpreting psychedelic language, there is one warning I want to give you, uh, one mistake that a lot of people make which is giving other people's interpretations precedence over yours. Because one of the most amazing things about archetypical psychedelic language is how amazingly specific it is to you. So as I said earlier about dogs, right? How a dog for one person may mean loyalty, may mean uh, some kind of valiant image of a best friend. For another person, a dog could mean an enemy. It could mean a scary thing, right? So you have to be careful about reaching out to others for interpreting your visions. Even if it's a shaman, if you're working with ayahuasca or these other plant medicines, even if it's someone you think is an expert, um, if you reach out to them with a vision of yours for their help in understanding it, You should definitely give an experienced person, you know, benefit of the doubt. You know, you should give them the respect of seriously interpreting their interpretation and thinking it over, mulling it over. But it's always a mistake to think, well, that person's more experienced. That person's an expert. So let me just go with their meaning. You are always the first person in line, the most qualified person for interpreting your own vision, because it is meant for you. It is specifically tailored to you. So with enough time, with enough processing, with enough living with a vision that's hard to understand, you will find the meaning for yourself. Um, So try not to shortcut by jumping onto someone else's meaning, no matter how impressive they are. Um, Even with my own maestro over here in Peru, my own shaman who I'm learning under, I often turn to him to help interpret visions. But what I'll do is seriously consider his interpretation, give it a lot of thought and a lot of uh, of time considering whether that could be the case, but what I'll never do is go, well, that's what he says, so that's what it is, because I understand what I'm explaining to you here. You are the first person, the most qualified person for interpreting your own dreams, your own visions, uh, your own psychedelic messages. So... How do we get better at interpreting this language? Well, like everything else, first and foremost, practice, experience, right? So be it interpreting your dreams, you have to interpret your dreams for a long time and you start to understand the way imagery speaks to you specifically, right? Um, Or if it's journeying with psychedelics, well, having more psychedelic journeys will make you better and better at interpreting these messages that come and understanding the imagery that tends to be used and what it tends to mean. Another way that is great for increasing your understanding of these visions is to increase your database. That is to say, increase your own mind. Anything you do that adds more nuance, more understanding to you, to your mind, gives more tools for these messages to use. They will use what's in your mind. So if you've only, if you're a child who's only had experience of candy, you know, mom and dad and toys and happiness and sadness and maybe tripping and falling, if that's the limit of your life experience, that is the limit of your psychedelic vocabulary. So when a psychedelic or a vision is trying to speak to a person like that, there's not much they can use to say anything very specific. It's very broad. It's very general. But the more refined you can make your mind, the more you could learn about the mechanics of nature or the universe, the more you could understand relationships between people, the more personal experiences you gather in life, or the more types of people or different cultures you encounter out there, the more you feed yourself, your own life experience, the more your vocabulary grows, the more these visions have to work with to give you a nuanced message. So, you know, it could be as simple as traveling the world, visiting other cultures, studying other cultures. It could be learning an instrument. It could be, you know, arts. It could be drawing. Uh, One big one, one very big one, is observing nature. Watching nature at work, watching ants, you know, just going around doing their business, observing a butterfly coming out of its cocoon, Um, you know, watching birds taking care of their eggs or maybe baby birds in a nest, um, and also, of course, scientific understanding. Watching nature documentaries to understand how nature works will give you a much richer understanding of an animal when that animal is presented to you in a vision, for example. Um, learning how plants work, how the biosphere work. These medicines, these plant medicines that you're likely to be working with if you're working psychedelically come from nature, and that is the first language they will tend to use. The first kind of imagery these forces will tend to use is imagery of nature. So the more you can understand nature, the more you're helping them by by adding to your to your lexicon for them to draw from. Your deeper understanding of nature and life and the processes of life, um, of how plants work, of how a plant grows, about seeds, about fruit, you know, about decomposition, about all this stuff. This gives you a much richer vocabulary for these forces of nature to work with when speaking with you because they too understand those things. These are things important to life, so all life understands it. And um, it it becomes sort of a common language between ourselves and these plant medicines, more so than things like human technology, like machinery, right? Um, These are things that those forces don't know as well. It's not in their their life experience as much as it is for a human. So learning how things work, especially nature, will help greatly in uh, improving your, your communication with these other forces. And of course, when it comes to your subconscious mind, if we're talking about dreams and meditation, that also is plugged right into nature. So so where it can draw on human things more, like machinery, like like institutions, like a school or a hospital, things like that, right? Dreams and meditation imagery can draw on the human half of things but we're always a natural creature first, especially our subconscious, which is much wilder and more plugged into the the process of life, of pure life, than our conscious minds tend to be. So there's that whole other half there at work, even when not working with plant medicines, that whole half of nature, of life, of natural process. Uh, the more you could grow that understanding consciously by studying this stuff, by becoming interested in it, by observing it. It is the first vocabulary before any human invention. The language of, of the processes of life on this planet is the most foundational universal language of life on Earth. So another great way to increase your database, um, increase the language with which these forces can can speak to you is by consuming stories. Stories are just full of archetypes. Um, They're made of archetypes. Every character in a story tends to be a very defined archetype. Even the supporting cast, even the extra superfluous um, characters in a story, if you sit down and analyze them, you realize they all have a purpose, they all represent something, they all embody some different force in this story. There's not a lot of wasted, pointless characters in stories because an artist has to sit down and create them and they need a purpose. They need to embody some meaning in order to interact in this story, right? So, so stories are a rich, rich place to find characters. And it helps to grow your list of characters, um, to, to, to ingest more stories, more various kinds of stories to look for various different kinds of characters out there, good and bad and neutral. Every story has a hero, right? Every story has a villain. This is not very varied, right? We know what a hero is, we know what a villain is, but every different story has a different kind of hero, right, the story of one hero is very different from the story of another hero from another story, right? They've got other challenges to overcome. They've lived a different kind of life experience. They have different abilities. Um, they face different um, challenges. They survive different things. They, 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 they may be defeated by different things, right? So although the hero and the villain is this very broad archetype that covers all stories out there, including life, Um, When it comes to individual tales, individual stories, the details are different around each of those characters. If you've only ever heard one story, one legend in your life, then you only have one hero to draw from, and you only have one villain to draw from, right? That's not a very rich vocabulary. But if you've consumed a ton of, you know, movies and books and legends and all these different stories, and you have this very cultured knowledge of, um, of story out there, historical story, and modern story, all of this stuff, the more of these you ingest, the more specific heroes and villains you know about. So let me just give you a couple examples, okay? Frodo from Lord of the Rings. Now, the archetype of Frodo is a reluctant hero that that, uh, thinks themselves weaker than they are, but contain more strength than they know, Um, who is carrying a heavy, heavy burden that nobody else seems to be able to carry, right? Um, That somehow fate has determined you will carry this burden because no one else can. It's outrightly stated um, even from the characters in that story, right? Galadriel, I believe, um, that elf witch, tells him, if you can't do it, nobody else can. You are the one who will do this. Right? So, so a hero carrying a burden that no one else can carry that is, that is destined to be in the hands of this hero, going through all of these struggles, losing friends, um, getting lost, you know, going through all kinds of perils, eventually to, to succeed, but only with the help of a friend. Right? So, that hero is very specific to Frodo. Frodo becomes a very specific archetype to himself because of those details that character contains, right? Those character details, those history details, um, the path, the life of that character is very specific to Frodo. And there are elements of Frodo's story that are shared by other heroes, but that specific combination is only Frodo. So you can't compare Frodo easily to Harry Potter, so Harry Potter has some similarities to Frodo. There's a destiny at work there. There's a heavy burden that this person has to carry, right? But the way Harry Potter, uh, spoiler alert, if you, if you haven't seen Harry Potter somehow, um, the, the way that Harry ends up defeating his challenges is to accept death, right? Whereas Frodo had to just um, resist death. Frodo had to keep going through everything. So there are very different meanings. So if if a force is trying to communicate you need to let something die or you need to accept death in order to move on um, from the things that are blocking you, they may show you Harry Potter, very dependent on the situation. But if the message is persevere with your burden, don't give up, don't succumb to defeat, you will triumph in the end, you may be shown Frodo. So this is what I'm saying, by ingesting um, stories, the more characters you fill your head with, the more literature you know, the richer your vocabulary is because these forces love to use characters. So let me give you a couple more examples just to show you why it's helpful. Um, Earlier on, right? I gave you the example of a troll under a bridge. Now I think most Western people, um, at least from my generation, I don't know if we still tell this story, to younger people these days, but uh, most older people understand that that legends of a troll under a bridge is about this guardian that sits under a bridge. And anyone that tries to cross over that bridge to get over the river the, the, the troll will attack them or, you know, demand something from them or, or they'll die. Uh, some toll for passage or play a trick on them to trap them into, um, coming into his clutches and eat them, right? So the, the, we know that. We know that story in general. But if you don't know that story, a troll under a bridge, you may have trouble understanding what that means, right? But that's a very useful image if you do know about it, if you do know that legend. A troll under a bridge is such a great symbol of, okay, look, a bridge, it's something you need to pass. It's the only way across this divide, right? Similar to a door. It's the only way across this river. If you try to cross the river on foot, it'll be very difficult or impossible, right? So you you must pass this bridge to proceed, But under the bridge, there is a beast. So, a troll under a bridge can be this great symbol, this great archetype of needing to proceed, but being interrupted by a fear, right, or by a sickness, by a weakness, by a fault of yours. And you must find a way to deal with this situation. So, as I said, if you had never heard that that little story of the troll living under the bridge, That's not in your vocabulary, and that image can't be used to so perfectly describe what I just described there. So ingesting stories, especially old legends, which tend to be much simpler and uh, much more uh, clear definitions of archetype without too much complication, filling your head with stories, with characters, collecting them, um, voraciously um, is a great way to expand the, the vocabulary visions can use in order to communicate things to you. Um, I mean, look, Sleeping Beauty versus Cinderella, right? These are two very different characters. Sleeping Beauty is sleeping, is waiting to be awakened, right? It's 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 a symbol of of resting potential, just waiting for someone to come and actively kiss her to wake her up. Sleeping Beauty can be used as a descriptor of sleeping potential that only needs action in order to arise. And Cinderella, again, is is a story of potential, but unappreciated potential. Potential that is being put to use in ways that diminish it that that almost insulted that spit on it, right? So that could be a very useful archetype used to communicate to someone who's got this potential, something they need to do in their life that they're not doing because they're just going to work and they're just doing the grinds and, and they're spitting on their own potential, right? They're putting their own great potential, their own dreams. Cinderella was a dreamer, hoping for a better life, but just working as a slave. Right? So Cinderella can be this great image uh, communicating to a person you're disrespecting your dreams, you're abusing your dreams, you're enslaving your dreams by choosing to get to grunt work, which is below you. So I'm sure you're getting the idea, the benefit of filling your head with all these different characters with different stories that represent different things because they all are very useful archetypes and please expand beyond just modern literature, modern movies, video games, and all that stuff. If you do take this advice to heart and you do start filling yourself with more knowledge of story out there, Please go into history, go into, you know, Greek mythology, go into, you know, the Bhagavad Gita, the Hindu uh, cosmology, that Hindu religion full of so many great archetypes, or, you know, old legends of castles and kingdoms, Um, you know, even just like Mother Goose, things like that. There's so many simple little stories. That are such a concentrated specific archetype at work in those characters. The simpler the story, I think the more useful the archetype. Although a more complex character can also uh, be useful to, to express something more complex. But the more basic things are, um, the, the clearer things are, the less definition a character has, uh, you know, the clearer its meaning when it is used. So these old, simpler stories of times gone by um, are totally worth putting into your head to expand your, your vocabulary. And characters are very important when it comes to visionary work, when it comes to dream work. You know, your dreams are filled with characters. When it comes to visionary work, such as ayahuasca, your journeys will often have moments of encountering characters, be they animals or be they spirits or be they people. Characters will manifest especially in medicine work, when you're working long-term with something like ayahuasca, there will be characters that manifest who embody your long-term struggles or your long-term fears that you're, you're wrestling with. If there's anything that um, destiny or your mind knows is going to be a recurring figure, this is going to be a long one, right? Say you're fighting with your fears and um, you know you know yourself that this isn't going to be over overnight, very often these long-term journeys will then become represented by a character. And it's important to keep an eye out for that because at first it could be hard to recognize that this character is representing something you're going to have to work with for a while until it keeps popping up over and over and over. And then you eventually realize, man, this thing is always there. Why was it there all of those separate times? What was it talking about? And then you realize, aha, this image is a representation of my fear of abandonment, right, or my lack of love for myself or um, you know um, the things that I need to do that I'm afraid to do, um, these things that that will be a long term process often choose to manifest as a character for you to get to know, for you to sort of target right uh, oftentimes they'll appear as a form of an enemy. Because it is the thing you're working against, so it gets manifested in the image of some sort of enemy for you to be able to grab onto, to face off with, and find a way to defeat. So it could be an illness that you're battling. It could be the ultimate goal that you're reaching for. It could, you know, the ultimate goal you're reaching for may manifest as a fleeting character, something beautiful that appears, that shows itself for a moment. And when you reach for it, it always disappears, right? But why does it keep showing up? Maybe it's a glowing hummingbird, right? Very quick. Uh, very agile, very small, but once in a while, this hummingbird appears in your visions and you try to follow it, but it's too fast and it goes away, right? You might ask yourself, well, what does that thing mean? Why is it always there? If it's always there, it's got a meaning and that meaning may be, as I said, the ultimate goal that you're reaching for, right? Chase me, be fast enough to catch me, come this way, right? Pay attention. This is the way that things manifest and represent in visionary and dream work, Um, You know, it can also represent blockages that you're dealing with, that you're dancing around, that you're trying to find a way around. It may manifest as the troll under the bridge, right? Uh, Some kind of enemy figure. Um, Or it could represent strengths that you have in the form of allies, in the form of figures that come and help you in your visions and your dreams and keep showing up once in a while. Um, You know, these can represent your strengths. So the point I'm making here is that some archetypes don't only appear in the span of one little vision story to mean something very specific, sometimes they become a character that follows you on your path for as long as they are involved, right? And eventually some of them drop away and disappear as your story with them has completed, as you overcome the thing they represented, or as you reach the thing they were, they were pulling you towards. Um, there's this This very awesome interaction that happens between you and these, these long-term archetypes. Um, they, they become sort of like friends. They, They become a part of your own story. They're these absolutely unphysical, completely imaginary friends. You know what I mean? That are there to work with you, that are there to, to embody things that you're, you're reaching for or fighting against. Um, to make it a little more concrete than just the idea, make it a little more visual, make it a bit more of a story. Our minds love to digest things as stories, um, so sometimes putting these things in, in, in a character makes it more natural to work with, instead of just sitting there going, I'm working on this, I'm working on that, and they're just these faceless ideas. In visionary work, ideas take a face that is very appropriate to what they represent, and that'll be characters very often. So when a character does appear in your journey, that's usually a good sign that it represents something important. It's usually worth it to spend some time trying to analyze what that character is representing, what, what its details embody, which archetypes, which concepts are, are seen in its behavior, in its appearance, in, in, in what it embodies. It is a mental embodiment of an idea through an image. So I'd like to share another vision I've had um, just to give you a little more idea how to go about digesting these things, decoding these things. Um, This is a vision, one of the most striking, powerful visions I've had so far in all of my ayahuasca work, all of my visionary work. Um, I covered it in the episodes about my graduation into apprenticeship. If you'd like to know the whole context, the whole detail of that story, um, I'll link those episodes below this episode over at higherideas.net in the related links. But anyway, this was a vision, long story short, of happening upon this magnificent, beautiful, singing crystal sword that was just sitting on this altar. This is just laying there on, on sort of like a bed. And it was surrounded... It was completely wrapped up by rose vines. And those rose vines were crawling with wasps. So there was so much at work in just that image, just that scenario. But what I want to focus on here is one symbol that was tripled. So if I handed you something and I told you, be careful, this is sharp, you'd handle it with some care. But if I handed it to you and I said, be careful, this is sharp, sharp, sharp. You're going to take that thing with a lot more seriousness, right? You are going to understand that, no, it's not just sharp. It is very, very sharp, because I tripled it. I said sharp, sharp, sharp. I used the same word, but I used it three times to emphasize that element of this thing I'm handing you. Now, referring back to this vision I described, a sword that is also surrounded by rose vines, which have thorns. And those vines, those flowers, are swarming with wasps, which sting. So there you have three symbols of sharpness. You have the sword, which is sharp, obviously, it's a blade. But it's also wrapped in thorns, which are sharp. And those thorns are also full of wasps which sting, so there 's three symbols of sharpness in one scenario here, and the message there was this thing this this idea, this concept you're 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 encountering as an image isn 't only itself sharp but it 's so sharp that we need to emphasize it there's the sharpness around it it 's so sharp everything around this object is sharpness, and in fact, that is one of the very key qualities of this sword I encountered. Sharpness, now why sharpness? What does sharpness represent? What is sharpness? Well, the sharper an object is, the more ease with which it penetrates, the more ease with which it will move through what it is it's trying to cut through. So a dull knife will take some effort to pass through something, but if something is the sharpest object in existence, it'll move through everything like butter. Right, And in the end, as I continued to understand what this vision was representing, it was really representing, the sword was really representing my ultimate power. Um, The state I will be in when I reach my most powerful state, which will be a state of being able to move through adversity, move through challenges, go where I want to go, do what I want to do with as little resistance as possible. Right? It is my most powerful state represented in this sword. And it was also vibrating with this resonant energy, this power, this... So it was like this force, this power. So it is power. Um, just such a great symbol of personal power, the ultimate object of personal power that I could ever hold. And also being a sword, right? So, so it's a tool, it's a tool, just like a knife, just like a scissor, just like a screwdriver. It is an object that can be used It is a thing of utility. That's what a sword is. It can be used to make battle, but it can also be used to clear vines, right? It could be used to, to cut vegetables. It's a blade. It's a tool. But it has, if you think about a sword, it also has a handle, right? It is a thing which must be taken, which must be held in order to be used. And in this vision, this sword was just laying there, waiting for me, inviting me to take it. Now, in that particular vision, I didn't feel ready yet. I didn't feel I was at the point to wield it yet. But I saw that it was there. It was calling to me. It was literally calling to me in that vision. It had sung sung its song to draw me nearer, it was calling to me, it was telling me, I'm yours, please take me, right? Put your hand on me. The handle part of a sword is as symbolic as the blade itself. So it was an invitation, take your power, here it is, look at it, it's so sharp. It is the sharpest object you will ever encounter. You will be able to defeat anything you ever face with this sword, but you must take it. So there's all this symbology in this um, image of just a sword sitting on an altar made of light, made of crystal. This is all more symbology I, I properly read into, but uh, what I wanted to focus on here is the tripling of the sharpness message, right? The archetype of sharpness was present in three things, and it was a very important part of the message, a very important element of this idea I was encountering, ability to cut through anything, ability to defeat any enemy, ability to move through any obstacle with this tool in your hands. And the fact I didn't take it, of course, reflects that I'm not there yet. But when I do reach that point, I will have that sword. I'll probably have a vision in which I put my hand on it and it's finally mine. And I'm finally wielding it. And when I have done that, in life, I will have reached that state in myself. So there is a character that has appeared in my own personal path that will continue. It is a part of my story. It will appear again. I know it will. It just introduced itself there as something to reach for, something, some great power that I'm approaching that that will be in my hand one day. And as I mentioned with characters earlier, Sleeping Beauty, right? Uh, Very quickly as I happened upon this scene in my vision, The the idea of Sleeping Beauty just was almost whispered in my ear as I saw this scenario. It looked just like Sleeping Beauty laying on her bed in the middle of the forest, right? It was the same thing. It was this bed-like altar, right? The stone slab with a piece of velvet draped over it. And on it was laying the sword sleeping, sleeping and waiting for me. Just as I mentioned in the Sleeping Beauty archetype, Um, sleeping and waiting for someone to come along and take action upon it to free it from its slumber. So that sword, even though it wasn't the image of Sleeping Beauty, it was like an analogy of Sleeping Beauty. I recognized the similarity, and it just popped into my head, Sleeping Beauty. But uh, there it is, another example of the way scenario, the way things are presented in vision, um, have so much symbology that can be read into But if you boil that whole vision down, the message there, the the idea that was being manifested as that complex image was of power, sleeping power that must be touched, that must be willingly taken. And once it is taken, this power is the power to move through any obstacle, any challenge without any trouble at all, With the most ease you can ever imagine, the sharpest sharpness you can imagine. A very powerful vision. Now another part of getting better at understanding psychedelic language is to build your vocabulary with experience, as I mentioned. As your experience in dream interpretation or meditation interpretation or psychedelic vision interpretation grows, um, you may come upon the same image various different times. So the more you work with a particular image, the deeper you understand the meaning of that image accurately. So the more a specific image keeps appearing along your path, the more you understand that image in a more nuanced way, in a more accurate way, that image is then very likely to be used again because you've become used to it. You've understood, just like learning what a word means, you now know what that image most likely means from having encountered it over and over, having improperly interpreted it, and then properly interpreted it, properly interpreted it a second time to confirm, yes, this is what this image means, right? As as that vocabulary of confirmed personal imagery grows, it's more likely to be used again. So you become progressively better at this language by understanding it over and over, by working with the same image over and over. So the butterfly, for example, has appeared so many times in my own personal journeys, so now when it appears, I very quickly understand exactly what's being communicated because I've worked with it so many times, and now I know, for me, this is what the butterfly means. So if the medicine or a vision or a dream is showing me a butterfly, I know at least a good part of the meaning that's there. Um, Interpreting more specifically the meaning in that case comes down to understanding also the situation around the butterfly, right? Because the butterfly may be caught in a spider web, the butterfly may be coming out of its cocoon, the butterfly may be drinking out of a flower, right? The story happening around the vision is also part of the archetype, right? So the butterfly drinking out of a flower is not just the archetype of the butterfly, but it's the butterfly feeding itself. The butterfly stuck in a spider web, well, that's the butterfly archetype, but now stuck in a bad situation. You already have a head start when you start to understand what the butterfly means to you, but there's always a little more interpretation that needs to be made um, for the rest of the context of the vision, yeah? but as i said as you grow your vocabulary of confirmed understood imagery in psychedelic work in visionary work um that image then becomes so much more useful to these forces trying to communicate things to you they will know aha yes this guy understands the butterfly we're trying to talk about something very similar to this so let's throw the butterfly in there and we already know that that will be understood right so these these terms you have more experience with will tend to then start showing up more and more. And these experienced, for example, shamans that have been working for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, drinking all the time, you can only imagine how solid their understanding of their visions is because they have seen so many symbols come through visions. They have come to understand what each of those symbols means. And now when they're used in combination with such a wide vocabulary of understanding, they can so specifically interpret what it's saying. So another thing that can be done to improve your skill is to bring conscious knowledge of archetypes in everything. So I'm talking about breaking down things into archetypes in everyday life. So just looking around my room right now, for example, there's a bed over there. Well, what does the bed represent? It's an archetype of place of rest. Right, It's also an archetype of safety because I feel safe in my bed. I've never had terrible experiences in this bed. I shut down and disappear in this bed every night when I sleep, Right, and nothing ever goes wrong. So it is, it is comfort. It is rest. It is a place for recharging. Right. So there's all this stuff connected to this image of my bed next to me. So looking at everything around you in your life, in everyday life, walking around in people, what kind of archetype is this person? Well, my boss, right, is an archetype of a person who has control over my life, of a person who I have a power struggle with. Maybe you feel good about that person, maybe you feel bad, but try and look at objects and people and and animals and things in your life and analyze what they are an archetype of. What does this figure contain? What meaning does it contain to me? How do I describe this thing? What can it be used to represent? And if you practice thinking in this way, when you come upon a vision, when you get to your visionary work, you'll already be used to seeing something and asking yourself, what does that encapsulate? What concepts does this image contain? Does this object, does this idea, what does it represent to me? And that's really the basics of decoding a vision, is to look at the details of that vision and and finding the archetypes there and decoding what each of those archetypes mean, including the action happening between them. So beyond just doing this in everyday life to sort of get your muscle moving, you can also do it when you're watching a movie. Where's the villain? Where's the hero? Um, Where's the healer? Where's the supporter? Where's the mother? Where's the father? Finding the archetypes that work in movies and stories, they're everywhere. Stories are just a big dance of archetype, be it a movie or a book. They're everywhere, everywhere. So just giving conscious attention to this process of decoding things. I mean, looking at my computer right now, what is my computer? It is a tool. Right, It is a useful tool, a crucial tool to my life. It's also a portal through which I communicate with the world, thanks to the Internet. So these are all these different things that my computer represents. Um, I see some Mapacho cigarettes here, some uh, tobacco cigarettes on my desk. What do those represent to me? Well, Mapachos to me represent spirituality because they're used so often in ayahuasca ceremonial work and in healing work. And that's how I encountered them. But at the same time, they also represent something negative for me because I have been on and off fighting with an addiction to inhaling this stuff. Um, so it also represents um, ill health. It also represents temptation that I'm struggling with. Um, just look at everything around you and every figure around you and ask yourself, what meaning do they contain? What concepts do they represent for me? So it's just another way to to observe life, another way to interpret everything in your life. You realize that everything around you is also an archetype. Everything contains concepts. Everything is a concept containing a whole story. So the more you get your mind thinking in this way in everyday life consciously, the more readily you'll be able to interpret them when you're in this dreamy subconscious state of working with visionary plants or working with dreams or working with meditation. So I think this is a good place to take another little break here to absorb the mass of information I'm unloading on you right now. And uh, this time I'll play a recording of my teacher, Maestro Orlando, a shaman, having some fun on my harmonica while we sat together in the jungle, in the beautiful daytime of the jungle. Okay, so now I'd like to run through a couple of example visions that I've had and how I went about understanding them, hopefully to give you more of an idea of how this process goes. So these two examples I'm about to give you were actually dreams that I had while in Ayahuasca Dieta. Now when you're doing an Ayahuasca Dieta, you're spending one week, two weeks, whatever amount of time, drinking Ayahuasca, yes, every once in a while, having your vision experiences, but then there's off days where you're just drinking additional medicine, sleeping at night, waiting for the next ayahuasca session. But in this uh, ayahuasca dieta context, the visionary work doesn't only happen during ayahuasca. It'll also happen in dreams because, as we now know, uh, dreams are visions. It's, a, it's the same kind of communication happening. And these forces you're working with, these plant medicines, while in dieta will often give you additional messages through dreams. So it becomes very important to decode those too while in dieta and to pay attention to your dreams as well. So in one of these dietas one day, I was having a dream that you know was your average dream. A lot of stuff was going on. I was in a lot of places doing a lot of things. And really, I forgot entirely all of that dream, except for one little scene that really stuck out and for some reason I didn't forget. That's usually a clue that there's a message there, at least for me. Um, When you clearly remember a part of a dream that leaves a mark on you for some reason, it's usually important to analyze that. I, in this dream, in one part, wanted to make myself a cup of tea. And that's all it was. It was very basic. I had a little blue teapot, and I was pouring myself a little cup of tea. And I was just about to drink it. I had a sense that there was something wrong with this tea, so I sort of smelled it and thought... Yeah, something's not right. So I poured out my cup of tea. I picked up the teapot and took the lid off of it. And what I found inside was that it was absolutely filled with disgusting stuff. It was filled with what looked like a bunch of dead insects. The shells of of insects, exoskeletons, and wings of moths, and things like that. Just all this dead insect material filling this teapot, floating in the water. And I thought, well, that's definitely not right. You don't want to drink that. So I turned the teapot upside down and poured out all of its contents, intent on making a fresh batch, right? So out comes all of these dead insects. And at the bottom, out came this blue living centipede, millipede, this this gruesome looking big millipede just slid right out, fell into the sink, and squiggled down the drain, right? And I thought, wow, I really didn't want to drink that tea. Better make a fresh batch, right? Start fresh. And that was it. Uh, The dream went on. And that's the only part I remembered. This action of finding this, this, this gunk inside my tea, pouring it out and starting fresh. So when I woke up, I had to give it some thought. What was that? What, what did that mean? Oftentimes, especially in dieta, these visions you're having have to do with you, right? It's some process happening inside of you or a message for yourself. But since in this dream, I was actively doing something, I had become lucid in that moment of the dream instead of just mindlessly doing whatever the dream was doing, right? This was a moment of of sort of waking up inside the dream, realizing something was wrong, and taking action. So really, that part of the dream was me becoming active in something. And what did I become active in? Well, I cleaned something out, right? I poured out this dirty tea. I chose not to keep drinking this tea, which apparently I had been drinking for a while out of this teapot. And when I started to think about it, here's the conclusion I personally came up with. That teapot actually represented my heart. And what I had just done in that part of the dream was consciously emptied my heart of a bunch of junk, now, why would I think this is a heart? So when you think about a heart and a teapot, there are similarities there. Both of them are vessels containing warm liquid, right? And drinking this tea, you can imagine, is almost like your heart cycling blood through your system. It comes in, it goes back out, it's full of nutrients, and, you know, if it's, if it's sick, it's cycling toxins. If it's clean, it's cycling clean tea, right? So the tea in this vision was my blood, and the teapot was my heart. And what I did in that moment was cleaned out my heart, realized there was all this junk in my heart, realizing that I, I had to stop drinking this same tea. This is not healthy. And let me start fresh. Let me empty all this junk, all this old dead stuff out of my heart, including something that was still alive. So there, there might have been some level of releasing something that was still active inside my heart, you know, emotionally. Um, but yeah, starting fresh with a fresh... Healthy tea, um, stopping the mindless cycle of drinking this tea out of this filthy teapot and taking action, choosing to empty it out and clean it out. So, energetically, on an emotional or, or subconscious level, in that moment, I actually performed some small amount of healing on myself, some refreshing emptying out of a bunch of dead stuff that was cycling through my emotions, my heart, right? The heart represents your emotions in in this kind of medicine work. It represents kind of like your spirit, your soul, right? More than the mind, the heart is a very important symbol when you're working with these medicines. So that's how I interpreted that. The teapot was my heart, the tea was my blood, and I, I had a refresher there. I chose to release a bunch of dead and living stuff that was poisoning my blood, right? What flows in me, my energy. So just a little moment in a dream that was somehow significant uh, and I was aware of that having happened once I digested that dream. Now that just goes to show how an object can represent something completely different when you sit down and analyze the context, analyze the symbology at work, and you have to think creatively a lot of times that way. But now in the future, as I described earlier, building your vocabulary, right? next time I encounter a teapot, whether in a dream, or in my visions, I'll already be able to assume that's probably representing my heart, right? And the tea inside is representing what's cycling inside of me, what I'm ingesting, what, what I'm preparing and drinking and, and you know, living off of. Um, so these actions you consciously take in dreams sometimes are representing conscious changes that you're participating in, in your energy, in your personal evolution, in your personal healing. So you can't discount mundane activities um, so easily. Usually, as I said, if you remember them after waking up, if they seem somehow peculiar or very clear, they're usually a message or representing some important thing that just happened that you participated in uh, consciously. A moment of lucidness in which you took part in improving your state, in changing your state, in asserting your control Um, on your own energy, on your own development, on your own inner system. But sometimes you'll encounter figures um, in your visions, in your dreams, interactions with other people, other spirits, other beings, animals, and whatnot. There was another dream I had once uh, that that really stuck out to me. And here's how it went. Um, I was, again, just doing a regular dream. And there was this moment where my mother appeared and confronted me really really pinning me down and telling me that I was a coward. She was basically berating me saying you're useless, you're a coward. Um I can't believe, you know, what a cowardly son I have. That kind of really, you know, insulting attack and very unlike myself in this dream, I just snapped at her and I grabbed her by by the shirt or something or maybe even by the throat. And I just started shaking her and yelling at her and we ended up on the ground. I remember she was on the ground and I was on top of her and I was sort of like hitting her head against the ground. Very violent, right? And I was yelling at her, I'm not a coward. Stop saying that. I'm not a coward. God damn it. Don't you know how much I'm doing? Don't you know how brave I am? You know, I was just yelling at her so mad. And instead of having a regular human reaction of being, you know, shocked and afraid and oh my God, you're killing me, right? That's not the reaction this figure had. This, my mother in my dream, instead of any of those regular reactions, what happened was she was completely unemotional and her eyes, my mother wears glasses, but behind her glasses, it was like her, her, the lenses in her glasses became extremely, uh, magnifying, right? It's like they went ten times thicker. And I was looking her in the face, and her eyes became huge, really magnified. And there were, like, owl eyes, big, deep eyes. And she was looking at me with almost, like, shock, yes, but a sort of curiosity. And that's it. The dream moved on. Maybe I woke up because it was such an aggressive moment, right? But I had to give that some thought because I definitely remembered that moment when I woke up. So here's how I ended up interpreting that dream. My mother... I don't have that kind of issue with her, you know? I don't have that kind of aggressive anger or anything like that. So immediately I started thinking, that has to represent the mother, right? That is not my mother who appeared in my dream. This was some energy, some message taking the form of my mother, but why? Well, to communicate mother. It was a mother energy confronting me, but not my mother. It was using the face of my mother the figure of my mother, to communicate itself. I am your mother, right? And I am telling you, you're a coward. I'm disappointed in you. You could be doing better. And when I got upset at her and started attacking her, instead of being a victim and being, you know, you're hurting me because it's a dream figure, I wasn't really hurting anything. I was just unleashing my frustration on this figure. Instead of being shocked or or, or insulted or afraid, this figure became extremely curious With that symbology of the huge eyes, she was just looking at me as if she finally saw me, right? And she was finally interested. It was curiosity in her eyes, not shock, not horror, but, ah, now this is interesting. That was more the look in her eyes. Let's have a really deep look at this guy. So, the way I interpreted this vision, after I gave it a bit of thought, is that in that dream, the the energy, the the spirit, if you will, that had taken the form of my mother, was actually Mother Ayahuasca, or Mother Earth, really. Every time I've encountered Mother Ayahuasca, there's no question that it is the spirit of life on Earth. It's Gaia. It's, it's the great spirit here on this planet that's very involved in Ayahuasca and other plant medicines, but very much Ayahuasca. So in this dream, this vision, what was actually happening was Mother Ayahuasca had visited me in my dream, in my dieta, and was criticizing me for not doing as well as I could because of fear. Yes, my initial journey into ayahuasca was so much fear. There was so much fear I had to work through to become comfortable with this medicine. To stop running away from uncomfortable moments and breaking experiences because of doubt or fear. And in that dream, she was finally visiting me to express, you know, you're too, you're too scared. You have to trust. You have to stop, right? But she was frustrated which is completely Mother Ayahuasca. I have had that kind of discourse before with her, um, and I'm aware that there is a certain frustration there in that energy when I was afraid, when I was resisting progress because of fear. So there she was confronting me. But in that dream, when I jumped on top of her and I started aggressively yelling back at her, will you stop saying that? I'm a lot braver than you're giving me credit for, for God's sake. I'm here, I'm doing dietas, I'm sacrificing everything. I faced so many fears. Yes, there's some left, but look at me. I'm not a coward. A lot of people wouldn't be doing what I'm doing, right? So I lashed back, and in that moment, she became very intrigued. She became very interested as if thinking, you know, wow, maybe there's some hope here, right? Look at him. I didn't know he had this in him. I'm going to take him seriously now, right? As it would happen, that dream happened the night before. I broke through um, a lot of my fears uh, as I drank ayahuasca the next night and actually became an apprentice, graduated into apprenticeship by defeating some fears that were blocking me that very next night. So that dream was very important. Um, It was Uh, as far as I'm concerned, a moment of communication between myself and the medicine, taking the body of my mother to represent, you know, I'm not just a mother. It could have been any other mother out there, a mother of my friend or, or something like that. But she chose to manifest as my mother to show me this is your mother. I am the energy of your mother. So again, as we described earlier, not getting trapped in literal thinking, in interpreting this as something to do with my physical mother, I didn't bother with any of that. I just had to look at the archetype. This was a mother, my mother, confronting me about fear, obviously about this ayahuasca thing that I'm doing right now, and I lashed back at her. When I lashed back, I gained some kind of attention, some kind of respect from her, gave her maybe a little bit of hope Instead of thinking, you're not going to make it, you're not doing it right, you're too afraid, right? Confronting her actually did something inside me. Um, It asserted my own courage in my own eyes, and this allowed me the very next night to finally move into a new level with the medicine. And that's how it goes when you're decoding these visions. You have to think of your first interpretation and then ask yourself, am I interpreting this literally? Is this preference? Is there fear here? Do I really have that kind of anger against my, my real mother? Do I, do we have this relationship where she criticizes me and I lash back? No. Do I have that relationship with ayahuasca? Yes. You can't read these things on face value. You have to look at their symbology and, and process whether it makes sense or not. Try to find alternative ways to interpret this vision. And then maybe line them all up and analyze each of them until you find the one that fits the most. And as I said earlier, when you do find the one that fits, there can be no other interpretation. You just know, yes, that's it. That has to be it. It's too perfect not to be it. So in this previous example, we sort of touched on um, starting to enter this strange territory, this interesting question of, is this all my subconscious? When it comes to visions, be it with medicines, be it with meditation, be it with dreams... Is this all my subconscious just telling me things that I'm feeling? And these visions often know you so well that it could be easy to think, yeah, it's just my subconscious, and of course it knows everything about me, and it knows the best image to use to communicate to me, because it is me, it's a deeper part of me that I'm not clearly in contact with. So of course it would know every inch of me and the best way to address me, right? So... Is that the case? Is it all your subconscious, or are you communicating also with an outside force? Are there spirits communicating to you? Are the spirits of the plants, the energies of the plants, really manifesting as this image and uh, having a dialogue with you? Well, I see three possibilities there. A. It is all purely your subconscious, even apparent interactions with external beings like spirits or visitors, um, it's all your subconscious, and it's all just an illusion, and it's all purely your mind at work. Option B is that when you're working with medicines, it's all communication from spirits. Um, you're not ever communicating only with your mind. It's always from the medicine. It's always from an external force that knows you very well. Now there's option C, which is a mix of both. And as in many other cases in life, I tend to go with both. It's a little from column A and a little from column B. When it comes to dreams uh, in regular life, it's probably 90% your own stuff, right? It is your own mind at work. But even in dreams, I believe there's an opening there in that state of mind for external forces to communicate with you if they need to, right? Be it God, or be it the spirit of a deceased's loved one, you know, who may enter your dream and have a message for you. Maybe they're watching your life from the other side. And in dreams, they have an opportunity to get involved once in a while and send you a message based on what they're observing of your life, right? So, you know, it's it can be really hard to tell which one is happening from one case to another, but I do believe that in general it's a mix of both, even in dreams. But especially with visionary medicines such as ayahuasca and mushrooms, especially in dieta, um I've seen enough to to assume, to feel pretty confident in saying there is also another half. There is Often, an external mind, an external presence that will use that opportunity to communicate with you. And the reason it's coming through dreams, the reason it's coming through visions, is because the place where these energetic, you know, disembodied entities, you could say, these disembodied consciousnesses, the place they occupy is a lot closer to the dream space than conscious waking reality. And so they're able to plug in through your subconscious and send messages up to your conscious mind, right? And that's why they're coming in this form. As, as an example of Mother Ayahuasca entering my dream, taking the form of my mother and having this interaction with me because she really wanted to tell me she's frustrated, right? And I had that lash back, so we had a back and forth. In my mind, the mind of the earth is conscious the mind of life is a real spirit and she received my response which is I'm not a coward goddammit! it I'll show you and I did right so we had a dialogue and there are some examples I've had in my own visionary decoding work that give me a clue about this not only being about my mind it's not just my mind at work here's a really simple example of what I'm trying to describe one archetype that I've seen many times so far in uh, many of my different experiences with ayahuasca, is thorns, thorns on vines, right, plant thorns. Now, every time these have showed up, at first I didn't know what to think about them when my vision just turned into thorns. Uh, Smooth flowing vines suddenly grew thorns all over them and I'm looking at a wall of thorns, right? Um, This has happened a couple times, this kind of uh, the vision turning into all thorns, envisioning thorny demons coming out of the forest at me, you know, covered in thorns. I've seen this so many times, thorns, like rose thorns. Now, it took me a while to figure out that that represents fear. I now understand that they are a message communicating, you are getting afraid, you're becoming fearful, right? You're becoming defensive. You're starting to thorn up. And that's why the vision turns to thorns. But the really interesting question there is, I didn't understand it at first. I didn't understand that that's what thorns meant. Why? Because to me, thorns don't represent fear. Why would, why would that happen? Well, my answer to that is, to a plant, thorns represent fear. You see what I'm saying? Why does a plant grow thorns? Why does it evolve thorns? Well, it's to protect against things touching it, right? Against animals walking on top of it, against, against something trying to eat it. Thorns for a plant are a defensive mechanism that they have to evolve in order to protect themselves when they're being overly trampled or overly eaten by some kind of creature, right? That's the only reason for a plant to grow thorns. Every plant out there you see with thorns had to grow those thorns to protect itself against a threat that was, that was overly threatening that plant species. And to survive, it had to evolve thorns. So what I'm saying here is, to the mind of a plant, thorns represent fear. To my mind, they didn't. I had no idea how to interpret that. So that example of the vision showing me thorns, that was a plant spirit, the spirit of the plants I was working with trying to tell me, you're being afraid, stop being afraid, you don't need these thorns, right? But there was a moment of miscommunication. The energy trying to communicate to me was using an image that to itself meant fear, but didn't really understand, I guess, that to me, it wouldn't be clear right away. I had to learn a word in plant language. I had to learn an archetype from the plant worlds that represents fear to their perspective, So that, to me, makes me think that I am communing with other minds, other kinds of minds out there, living another kind of life, and sometimes they can't find the archetype in your system to communicate what they're trying to say, and so they'll throw a message at you that they think will obviously tell you what they're trying to tell you, but since you have different life experiences, sometimes it gets lost in, in the shuffle, right? Lost in translation. So initially for me, thorns were one of those terms, lost in translation. But through experience, through having that image show up here and there through my journeys, I now know immediately when my vision turns thorny, that's a message. You're getting afraid. Relax, relax. Get rid of the thorns. You don't need thorns right now, right? Um, and I've used that very effectively to avoid derailing ever since. Now, there's other examples out there of visions showing you things that you can't possibly know, things that come from another person's mind, or uh, a lot of people have described with ayahuasca seeing the future, a future that does come true, or seeing an event happening in a completely other location. They think of their loved ones And suddenly, they see their loved one doing something very mundane, and it turns out later when they check, that person was doing that mundane thing at the same time as the person having the vision was visiting them. And the shamans as well, who are very experienced, a lot of them say that they can see the visions of other people when they're shamanizing for a group. They can monitor everybody else's visions, they know what's going on for everybody, So there is some kind of interconnectedness of minds that becomes possible with these plant medicines. It's one of the most fascinating aspects of 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 working with this stuff. But that's all to say that the subconscious is not only yours. See, Carl Jung had this theory about the collective unconscious, that on an unconscious level, we are all just one mind, connected to itself, and on our conscious everyday level, we're sealed into our single perspective. But the collective unconscious is going in the background all the time, and we're all connected there. We're all just one big mind. Now, to me, the collective unconscious is the subconscious. I, I just I, My sense is that your subconscious, my subconscious, all of our subconsciouses, are that collective unconscious that that mind that is one mind and when you are in that place you can see how we're all connected but when you come back to yourself you seal off from that that's that's why we have the division between conscious and unconscious on top of course of the subconscious mind being in charge of handling a lot of processes and a lot of um, management of your physical systems that you don't need to consciously focus on, right? The conscious part of your mind is in charge of making decisions out here in the physical worlds. So the subconscious part of you is, conne- is connected to your heart rhythm, you know, your lungs breathing when you're not paying attention to them, um, thermoregulation, and all this, you know, physical stuff that you don't really need to think about, but keeps going anyway. That's the subconscious at work. But that same part of ourselves, whose processes we're completely disconnected from and not aware of, I believe that thing is also the group unconscious, which is not only connecting all humans together, but all life together, and possibly all life on all planets, universally, right? It might be the universal mind. So knowing that we've got already that plug connecting into that system in the form of our unconscious or our subconscious. It's not that unreasonable to me to, to think that once in a while you can get a glimpse through this subconscious network into the minds of another person, into the visions of another person, seeing what another person is up to right now, even though they're across the world while you're in your visionary state, right? Because you're connecting to their mind through that underground network. Now in this underground network, as I said, all life may be interconnected. So the spirits of plants, if they are conscious, as say the the medicine shamans here in South America, that plants are living beings with their own mind, with their own thoughts, with their own mental world going on and their own senses, right? They would be connected into that network as well and so would be able to connect with you through these very sacred and, and special moments of ayahuasca, ayahuasca dieta, to deliver messages on top of any physical healing they're doing um, by ingesting these plants. At the same time, my mind is completely open to the fact that you're also opening up to be reached by the mind of these plants, by the spirits of these plants, and possibly other spirits that are just floating around up in that place that aren't even physical in any way. They're just purely energetic beings, right? Now, yes, this is going far into the weird woo-woo territory, but uh, I think it's important to to mention while we're talking about these visions, that visions, yes, can come from your own body. They can be interpreting processes happening within your system, but they can also uh, be interpreting energy and messages and um, interaction coming from external energies, coming from external sources. But no matter which way you slice it, one thing's for sure working with visions is working with the subconscious. Whether you believe there's an external force at work or it's all just your own subconscious mind, no matter what the case is, improving your communication with these visionary messages is all about increasing your, your awareness of your subconscious which speaks, as I described in the beginning, in a language of pure concept, of pure idea, beyond any language. It's all about archetypes. So we're coming up on the conclusion of this little lesson on speaking psychedelic. I hope it's been useful. There's a couple extra tips I'd like to share before I wrap it up. The thing is, you won't always immediately understand visions. Very often you will, and the moment you're having the vision... If you become very good at this, you'll immediately understand what it's representing and what it's trying to say to you. But sometimes you have to live with it for a while, um, and that's okay, right? There are some visions that you'll receive that are meant to be understood later. There are visions that I'm still walking with right now, waiting to understand them. And I know that one day there'll be a moment where it makes perfect sense and it, it will have been this long story, the saga of, wow, one year ago I was given this vision, and it didn't come to fruition until a year later. But when it does, it can be so amazing the way everything lined up and the way it was so perfectly placed, right? So that's all to say, you don't have to put too much pressure on immediately understanding a vision, but you should definitely give it some thought um, after having had it. You should definitely mull it over. And if you can't come up with any solid conclusion, it's no big deal. Just put it on the back burner. Don't forget it. If you remember it, if it happened, if it seemed interesting or meaningful in some way, it usually eventually will uh, reveal itself, what the message was, what it meant. Sometimes it'll take a while, and that's fine. The same thing goes with the interpretation you may settle with on a vision. This is where preference kind of comes in again. You may settle on an interpretation of a vision, Uh, very quickly and, and cling to it because you feel, oh yes, I wish this is what it meant, and I like that it means this, and I'm gonna hold on to it. But you may come upon something later that changes that understanding, and you have to be willing to release your previous understanding and reconsider that vision later when more information comes to light. And another important point is that not all visions are a message. So that's another reason not to put too much pressure on understanding every single vision. Uh, The best example I can think of is a lot of times when we receive clients at our ayahuasca center, especially first-timers, a lot of times their initial experience will be just a lot of patterns and a lot of fractals and flying through dimensions and... They'll they'll come out of it the next day, and I'll ask them, you know, what kind of visions did you have last night? And they'll describe, well, I don't know how to describe it. It was just a bunch of stuff, and there was plant shapes, and there was snakes, but there was no concrete story that they could cling to. There was no moment um, to digest. It was just noise, right? Now, this is very normal, and the way to interpret that kind of vision, that kind of experience, is that what was happening there is you were perceiving... Through your subconscious, right, detecting what's happening around you and inside of you, the visions you were having in that case were perceiving energetic processes happening inside of you, around you, in the ceremony space. You were watching all of this stuff happening, but it wasn't a message, it was just awareness of activity happening. And that's why it's just a bunch of noise. That's why it's just a bunch of patterns that mean nothing to you because there is no message in that particular case. You're just perceiving something. The point is not everything that you will see in a visionary experience is a meaningful vision with a message. But usually if there's any kind of storyline, if it's something like, you know, um, like I said earlier, a butterfly stuck in a spider web, that's a story, right? That's a scenario. There's something to digest there. But if it's just a bunch of shapes and patterns and motion, that's likely just, it's like watching the ocean, right? You're seeing a bunch of things happening, and it's not necessarily anything that needs to be understood. You are just seeing all of the stuff happening inside and around you. So fellow human, I really, really hope this has been interesting to anybody out there working with these, these practices. I hope it helps you along your path. Um, if it has, please do let me know. Now, if you are hoping to work with ayahuasca, to do dietas, to spend a week or two weeks working with these medicines, this is a good time to tell you that I'm working at a center in Peru as an apprentice, yes, learning under my maestro, who runs the center, but I'm also here working as a guide, a translator, and a trainer for people who come here through our service, who come here with me under my guidance. At this center, you get to work under a very powerful maestro in a very sacred medicine center with a lot of power. But I want you to consider this episode, this whole little class I just spent with you, as an example of the kind of guidance you'll have when you come to us, um, working through your week, your experience, with me every day, helping you understand um, your experience, helping you digest your visions, helping you learn to speak this language, and so much more, learn to navigate the experience, learn to navigate through your emotion, your, your resistance. Um, this is just a taste, fellow human, of what I do here with individuals all the time. So if that sounds interesting to you, if you are looking for that kind of deep, evolutionary work on yourself, with a great guide at your disposal, the website for that service, with all the information you need, is at viaverdetours.com. Now, to make it easy, you could find that link at the top of my website for this podcast over at higherideas.net. So head over to higherideas.net, click on that Via Verde link, and you'll find all the information you need to come and work with us for your own healing, for your own evolution, for your own spiritual journey. And of course, over at higherideas.net, you'll also find every other episode of this podcast, which I invite you to browse and, and, and listen to. I will be making more of these deeply educational, psychedelic work episodes in the future, so do stick around if you appreciated this. As I mentioned earlier in this episode, this project is supported by patrons, by patronage, by donation. So if you'd like to get involved, if you'd like to help keep this project alive, keep this content coming, do head over to higherideas.net and find that little orange link right at the top of the site. Choose to give $1, $5, $10 a month, whatever you like. Every donation bracket uh, permits you to request an episode topic. Whether you'd like me to expand on something or break into something new, I'm waiting. And you will get your personalized shout-out if you want it in that episode. Now, in the same breath, thank you to every patron so far that have been with me for a few months at this point, definitely keeping this thing alive so far, especially to Mr. X, who is the most generous of all. So as always, Mr. X, thank you for sticking around. Thank you so much for being so insanely generous. Same goes to the rest of you for donating it all. And by the way, everybody that donates, be it $1, be it $10, whatever amount you donate, you also gain access to the exclusive music files for these flute tracks that I share here and there, harmonica tracks I'll share here and there. All of those get posted on Patreon, exclusively available for download to the patrons. So fellow human, that's it for this episode, and until next time, fellow human, keep thinking.